the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zerniel and award-winning veteran broadcaster Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the award-winning Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is with us. And as many of you know, Carol was the past chair of the board of directors of the National Council on the Aging. She's a member of the Ray's Family Caregiving Advisory Council under the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. Carol has a master's degree in social gerontology, nearly 30 years experience in the field of aging and caregiving. And she was one of Next Avenue's top 50 influencers on aging. Carol Zerniel, how happy are you today? You know what? I'm feeling pretty happy, but I, you know, I came back from vacation, and then I saw that Don was going to be our guest on our show, and our caregiver summit was coming up, so I was happy. Well, Don Lucas is uh, with us, and we've had him on before. Uh, he is a not only a specialist in understanding and spreading happiness. Dr. Lucas is a professor of psychology and the coordinator of the psychology department at Northwest Vista College in San Antonio. He's a fellow of the Southwestern Psychological Association and the Association for Psychological Science. Dr. Lucas, or we can call him Dr. Don. Dr. Lucas is the author of the book, Being Your Happiness, Pleasure, and Your Contentment. And so, you know, Don Lucas, it's great to have you back. Well, as I guess I have to say, I'm happy to be back. Well, thank you very much. Now, uh, one of the things you wanted to talk about today was uh, not only happiness, part three, uh, but right. let's go back to the beginning. Sure. Uh, as infants, newborns, uh, are we born with the ability to be happy? Yeah, there, there's uh, quite a bit of uh, so-called nature-nurture research uh, on happiness. And the uh, latest numbers, and as far as genetics are concerned, is that it appears that uh, we're genetically inclined to be happy relative to about 30%. So uh, about 70% of the uh, environment is going to determine how happy you are. So when, when you talk about nature, nurture, nature is all going to be uh, predetermined um, based upon what we're born with. If we can actually find some genes, and there actually is now some gene research on a life satisfaction, and those numbers right now are at about 30%. So we're we're in a great bulk of control when it comes to happiness, what we're actually doing with, with our lives. But do people believe that? Do people really believe that they control their happiness or do they think that's like voodoo magic? You know, and, and it's, it's a great question, Carol, and it's a great question along these lines. There's a lot of myths um, 
associated with happiness. And one of the myths that people generally believe is that other people aren't so happy. So a really simple but but neat neat research will do this. And there's a variety of ways to determine how happy an individual is. And, and, and Ron demonstrated one of those ways, just a simple question to you and said, how happy are you? And you you know, you gave a rating, gave a thumbs up there. When we ask people uh, on the streets uh, in America, outside of America, consistently about 80% of people rate themselves as being happy. So eight out of 10 people, you know, beyond a, a neutral scale, view themselves as being quite positive in as far as their emotions. But here's the interesting thing. Now we ask that exact same person, how happy do you think your friends are? How happy do you think your family is? How happy do you think your colleagues are? Consistently, those numbers go down to about 60%. So we rate ourselves as being, you know, absolutely, life is good. And and here's some things that I do to actually bring happiness. But, you know, the people that I hang with, (laughs) let me tell you about all their troubles. Um, uh, happiness is kind of like the Potter Stewart, former justice definition of pornography. I can't really define it, but I know it when I see it. Is there a definition of happy? Th- th- there certainly is. There, There's lots of definitions. I, I can give you some scientific definitions, but certainly the best definitions I would start off with is I'd ask you, are are you measuring your, your happiness relative to emotions? Are you measuring your happiness relative to behaviors? Are you measuring your happiness relative to thoughts or perceptions? That that's the basic core of psychology right there. So when we 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 take a phenomena that that's part of the human condition, we look at it in the so-called ABCs. A We're going to come right back to you. Hang on just a second for those who just joined us. I want to let you know you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. And you can hear our award-winning Caregiver SOS On Air podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Don Lucas is our special guest today. He is a professor of psychology and the coordinator of the psychology department at Northwest Vista College in San Antonio and a well-known expert on happiness. I interrupted you, so go ahead, Don. So when you're talking about a definition of of, of, of happiness, when when we as scientists actually define it. We we look at you. So is your definition of happiness relative to whether or not you have children? Is your definition of happiness whether or not you have a successful career? Is your definition of happiness relative to the amount of money that you're making or whether or not you're 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 married or whether or not you get to be on the radio? That's where we start. Now we say whether or not those things actually will affect things within your body. One of the things that we know about happiness, happiness is directly associated with health. Um, Happier people have stronger immune systems. Happier people are more likely to get married. Marriage adds about 10 years to your life. There's a really popular Netflix uh, series going on right now, and it's called The Blue Zones. And it's actually based upon a book that was written uh, probably about 20 or 30 years ago, and it was a bestseller. And now Netflix has picked it up. And it's it's wonderful if, if your um, listeners have, haven't picked it up yet. Wonderful. But everything that he's talking about relative to longevity, 
I'm watching it and I'm nodding my head and I'm like, yeah, that's actually associated with happiness. That's associated with happiness. Consistently, one of the things that the blue zones are associated with are social networks. The number one thing that is associated with happiness are communal relationships. And this is something that we've touched on before in a, in a, in a, in a previous discussion that we all had. And probably not a lot of people know what communal means. They know relationships, that, that makes sense, but they probably don't know what communal means. And what communal means is that you're in relationship with someone of which you're not keeping track of the giving and the taking. Most of our relationships, probably 95, 99, 99.9% of our relationships are reciprocal relationships in which I give you something. And because I give you something, I expect something back and you give me something back. You know what? I I look forward to our time together. But if I showed up late or I for 15 minutes, I guarantee you guys wouldn't be inviting me back. You expect something from me. I expect something from you. That's wonderful. But imagine being in a relationship. Hopefully we don't have to imagine. But imagine being in a relationship in which it's unconditional. It is driven by something. And what it's driven by is empathy, the most powerful emotion we can have. You want to live longer? You want to be happier? It's almost synonymous with one another. Find yourself a communal relationship and stay in it. And it's not about quantity. It's it's literally about quality. By empathy, yes. you mean? Sorry, Carol. Yes. And, and that's, that's a great question. Um, most lay people make synonymous sympathy and empathy. These are actually two different concepts. So sympathy is the ability for me to recognize emotions in another individual, whereas empathy, I literally take those emotions on. Ron is graduating college. Not only am I in the audience and I'm like, I bet you Ron is happy. Absolutely. No, I feel the elation as if I am graduating right alongside him. It is the universal, is the mother of all emotions, is empathy. And we're not born with it. We're born with the ability to sympathize. We are not born with the ability to empathize. Carol, Carol wants the rock and roll. Well, no, you when I I have seen um, almost all the episodes on Blue Zones and the one that when you were talking, I think it's in Sicily where there's an older woman in the village in the little township that it's like the whole town takes care of her. You know, she's old. And so one person takes her to church and another person makes sure she has lunch on Sundays or invites her to the family. And I was thinking about that we to be happier is there a connection if we in turn like giving yourself away, right? If we notice those people around us have empathy and do just little things for our neighbors, the people at church, the people at work, does that bring us more happiness? Yes. Yes. You know, it, we, we, we're probably familiar with the concept of us human beings love the negative things. We know what a vicious cycle is. So a vicious cycle, you do something bad and because you do something bad, the situation gets even worse. And because the situation gets even worse, you do something bad. Well, the opposite of that is what you just described. When you go out and volunteer, when you go out and systematically help somebody, guess what happens to you? You feel even better about yourself. 
And the more you feel better about yourself, the more likely you are to help somebody. The more likely that you're helping someone, the, the better you feel about yourself. So it's a cycle, but it's not vicious. Literally, it's a feed forward system where you have people walking around and they're content, which is actually a different word from happiness. Happiness That's is why, you know, people often say they get more out of volunteering than they end up putting into it, right? That's the payback. And Carol just described that. Carol just described that, and she gave this wonderful example from that blue zone. And 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 that's what I was going to add to, but you you stole my words there. We're going, oh, they're helping this elderly person. No, this elderly person is helping them because she's given them an opportunity to feel good about themselves. The better they feel good about themselves, the more they are to actually be aware and seek out helping situations for others. We're going to continue on this path talking about happiness, how to capture it, how to keep it, how to share it. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, our special guest, Dr. Don Lucas. You're listening to the award-winning Caregiver SOS on Air. Well, thank you so much for listening to Caregiver SOS on Air. We're delighted to have you with us. We come to you every week with a discussion of an issue, a problem, some accomplishments involved in caregiving with more than 60 million caregivers across this country, but most thinking they are the Lone Rangers. We try to bring you the latest information and help that can make that job easier and more manageable. Caregiver SOS On Air takes a look at trends across this country. We provide tips on how to be a better caregiver, and most importantly, where you can go for help. On Caregiver SOS On Air, we try to give you what you need to make that caregiving manageable and to provide you with the help that can make your life easier. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel and I are delighted to co-host this program, and we're thrilled you've joined us on the award-winning Caregiver SOS On Air podcast available everywhere, brought to you by WellMed Charitable Foundation. Hello, friend. Thank you so much for sticking with us right here on the award-winning Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with Dr. Don Lucas, who is the happiness doc. He's earned a number of awards, including the Minnie Stevens Piper Award, the oldest and most prestigious teaching award for higher education in the state of Texas, and somehow that is not a surprise. So, Don, your class, students come to you. Are you teaching them happiness? Are they learning about happiness? Are they happy? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if they're happy because they have me as a professor. That That's a whole other story. Uh, I'm called other things besides Dr. Don that we probably can't share over the years. <laughs> but I will say this. I, I build principles into whatever class I teach, whether it's a neuropsychology class, a human sexuality class, a general psychology class. As an example, in my general psychology class, it relates to what we were just talking about. One of the projects that they do is titled Change the World. I give them a general prompt, general rubric, and the general rubric is along the lines of you have to do something beyond the hypothetical. One of the things that we do is we stereotype college students and we say, you know, when you're in the real world, you'll start to, I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. So this isn't a theory paper. This isn't a hypothetical project. Indeed, you will propose what you will do to make the world better. And then they actually go do it. 
Now, some of them do simple things like they go volunteer at the San Antonio Food Bank or they uh, volunteer for Habitat for Humanity. But other students, oh my gosh, the things that now is being facilitated in as far as their imagination is concerned, they're going, you know what? When I drive to school, I always see this homeless person and I always wanted to do something for this person. Now, because I'm going to get this silly credit for this class, I'm going to actually do it. So they put together things. They put together a little food packet and including in that food packet, they have information for the homeless and all the available resources completely created by them. Now they write this thing up and I, I mean, I'm selfish because I get to read these projects. And when I read these projects again and again and again, the students say, look at what I got out of this. They don't even recognize it's for a grade. They didn't even recognize that I asked them to do it. They're like, look at what I got out of it. And about 50% of the projects, guess what they say? You know what? I'm going to continue to do this. Well, what have they discovered? They've discovered their happiness. They've discovered their happiness along the lines of one of the certainly principles of happiness is helping others. So does that break a cycle of unhappiness? Do you talk about people who feel like they're in an unhappy situation or an unhappy place that they can change that? And 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 I would argue the answer is yes. And And how it starts off, if I came here as a geneticist and said, you know, 90% of your um, eye color is pretty much determined uh, at conception. So good luck. I guess you can put some, I, I don't want to be mean here, but they do look silly. And as far as these colored contacts, I can tell you that you have a color contact. Then there, there's no point in discussion. But we know, we know 70% of what you're doing is associated with your happiness. I'm going to give a quick example here, and it's going to be kind of a reverse when it's going to be related to this idea of sadness. So one of the things that's just a surprise, science is at its best when it proves our intuition wrong. That's my quote, by the way. All right. You like that? So one of the things that when we went into this positive psychology in the mid 1990s, we thought certainly we could predict how happy an adult is based upon what happened in their childhood in as far as so-called objective happy events or so-called objective traumatic events. So we thought, oh, the more trauma in your life, the less happy of an adult you'll be. The more happy things in your life as a child, the happier you will be as an adult. And guess what? There's no relationship between those two things. What we do with our experiences is we interpret them. What are you going to do with the trauma in your life? You could do the following. You could say, you know what? I've had trauma. And because I've had trauma, negative, negative. Yeah. You know what? I'm right with you. At the same time, you could have trauma in your life. Guess one of the main purposes, the main avenues of where empathy comes from. Now I have a perspective on what's happened to me. And not only do I have that perspective, maybe I'm actually able to share that with others and I'm able to help others. And through that help, wow, some of the happiest people that are walking around as adults, when you find out about their childhood, you're like, oh, oh my God, there's no way you can be happy. By the time lay people in the media gets a hold of this, 
when a traumatic thing happens to a child, what you will hear nine times out of 10, their life is over. They're going to be carrying this burden for the rest of their lives. Scientific data does not back that up. Two out of every three children who are sexually abused, I can't think of a worst abuse right now, go on to leave productive lives that they're not depressed. They don't go on to be perpetrators. They don't go on to be victims. They don't go on to have drug or alcohol problems. Why? They're doing something with that. They're utilizing that 70%. Well, I have to ask you a question because I don't know why recently I've been looking at my old Leo Buscaglia books from the 1970s with him teaching the course on love. love (laughs) So, So I'm curious, when you started talking about a course on happiness or writing about happiness. I mean, at that time, they thought he was nuts and, and, and maybe he was, you know, a little eccentric for the time. Do, do people think that's not a study? That's not science. Yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on. So um, mm-hmm. I, I could give you probably a definitive date, probably 1992, 1993, 1994. We have some, some big names and positive psychology. Martin Seligman would, would be one of those. David Myers would be a, a, another. And, and what happened in the mid-90s, we, we, uh, psychology as a discipline is often seen as a soft science. Don't even get me started. We can do a couple of episodes on that. A scientific method is a scientific method. But what positive psychology actually did was bring the scientific method to these things that people have been talking about, certainly even before Leo, for the past 4,000 years and as far as contentment and as far as happiness is concerned and as far as what the philosophers had to say, can we demonstrate something that I can share with you right now to tell you about the human condition? In 95 times out of 100, it will happen for the human condition. And we found that to be true. Uh, do do I still get that negative flack when I start talking the science of happiness? That really is a phenomenon. And positive psychology uses the scientific method. Yes. Unfortunately, there's probably even a bigger picture. People still, unfortunately, do not believe in the science of psychology. And they they, they believe that, you know, this is a, a gift of gab. You know, this is a good philosophy. There's some logic to, to that. I, I can tell you some a lot of fun stories. I'm not here to tell you stories. I'm here to share something with you that as soon as you turn off the radio, you can apply it to yourself. And there's a 95% chance something different will happen in your life. Something as simple as this, facial feedback theory, facial feedback theory. You walk around with a, what is called a Duchenne smile. I'm smiling right now. And not only am I smiling, but my eyes, the zygomatic major muscles, and orbicularis oculi muscles are being activated around my eyes. You do that for five minutes. I don't care how sad. I don't care how depressed you are. You will feel happy. It'll be a weird feeling because cognitively you're like, my goldfish just died. I'm sad. Why the hell am I? Oh, I know why. Because when you have a Duchenne smile, it actually affects the brain. The brain Temporal cortex becomes active. Temporal cortex is associated with memories. The memories that are going to be facilitated are going to be the positive memories associated with the negative feelings you're currently having. We can actually behaviorally control our emotions. And do those smiles affect others? I'll give you an example. I'm in a rehabilitation program 
uh, and I go twice a week, spend a half hour or so on uh, machines. And the other day, a guy walking by said, you know, I've noticed you are always smiling, which is true. And uh, I said, thank you. Yeah. And, and, and so th- there's different types of smiles of which the type of smile that you're likely to be initiating, whether you know it or not, is a reciprocal smile. So we use that word earlier, reciprocal. Ends up being a really neat thing right now. When you're walking around a group and they're all frowning, what you're most likely to do is mimic that frown. Well, we know frowns, they activate the temporal cortex as well, associated with negative emotions. When you walk around with a smile on your face, now you're in a social setting, people will look at that smile. And we've got the numbers on this. We just ran a study and actually uh, uh, presented it at the Southwestern Psychological Association uh, earlier this year, and it was about reciprocal smiling. 80% of the time when you smile at a San Antonian, that San Antonio will smile back at you. That's you a big number. Make them feel better. Percent, and we went all around San Antonio. We actually I- I- intentionally looked at a low social economic uh, zip code, a, a medium social economic zip code, and a high. And we didn't find any differences in as wow. far as the probability of actually causing happiness in others. Dr. Don, I got to stop you right there. <clears throat> For those who want more of Dr. Don Lucas, you need your Lucas fix. Join us on November 9th. We hope you can do that for the Caregiver Summit here in San Antonio, but it's available across the world. Just go to caregiversos.org and you can register. Don Lucas, thank you so much. You made me happy. Uh, for Carol Zernio. You make me uh, happy. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us today on the award-winning Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zernial and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 